Well, good to see all of you today. I'm glad you didn't leave me here alone. <clears throat> I heard that we registered 500 people at the camp. So you can understand why there's so many that are not with us today because they are up there and it's the largest group we've ever had at our camp retreat. So that's pretty exciting. Of course, with that means that the majority of our pastors left and um, are there with those 500 people enjoying the camp. And so Steve and I are here holding the fort. Thanks, Steve, for not leaving me alone. We're here together. So, And thank you all for being here. Thank you for being here every week, um, for enjoying worship with us, both here and those of you that are with us online. We're glad that you're here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, during this time, we simply ask that you'll be with us, that you speak to us. The Holy Spirit will say to us what no one dare say, only you. And that you will move our hearts and lead us closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I know exactly where I was. I remember it very clearly when I gave my life to Jesus for the first time. I was a student at Forest Lake Academy, so you know that was a little while ago. I was sitting on the slope of ground just outside where the boys' dorm was. It's been gone a few years now. Used to be a softball field, now it's a soccer field. And there used to be around uh, where home plate was, used to be a slope of ground. People could sit around and watch the games. I wasn't there for a game. I was not there for any occasion, actually. I had been reading the book Steps to Christ. <clears throat> How many of you have read Steps to Christ? A lot of you. If you haven't, you need to get one. It's must reading if you haven't read it before. I was reading a little one kind of like this. This is a little bit newer, even though this one's pretty old. Um, I was reading a little paperback, something like this. And I had been reading it for a while. And as I sat there on that slope, one evening, about this time of year, actually, all by myself, I read these words. Indulge me, I'll read about three paragraphs from this book. It is peace that you need, heaven's forgiveness and peace and love in the soul. Money cannot buy it, intellect cannot procure it, wisdom cannot attain it to you. You can never hope by your own efforts to secure it. But God offers it to you as a gift, without money and without price. It is yours if you will but reach out your hand and grasp it. The Lord says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be like red, red like crimson, they shall be as wool. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. From, those simple, from that simple Bible account of Jesus healing the sick, we may learn something about how to believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. Let us, in turn, let us turn to the story of the paralytic in Bethesda. The poor sufferer was helpless. He had not ended his, 
He had not used his limbs for 38 years. Yet Jesus bade him, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And the sick man might have said, Lord, if you will make me whole, I will obey thy word. But, but no, he believed Christ's word, believed that he was made whole, and he made the effort at once. He willed to walk, and he did walk. He acted on the word of Christ, and God gave the power he was made whole. One more paragraph. In like manner, you are a sinner. You cannot atone for your past sins. You cannot change your heart and make yourself holy. But God promises to do all this for you through Christ. You believe that promise. You confess your sins and give yourself to God. You will serve him just as surely as you do this. God will fulfill his word to you. If you believe the promise, believe that you are forgiven and cleansed, God supplies the fact you are made whole. Just as Christ gave the paralytic power to walk when the man believed that he was healed, it is so if you believe it. I'd just been reading. And even though this was not new to me, even though I had for years been attending church, my grandmother took me to Sabbath school as a child. My, my grandmother took me to Sabbath school back in the days when the Bible stories were taught in big sandboxes with cardboard characters. So I'd heard the, all the stories. My mom had started to study the Bible and a pastor came to our house and gave us all Bible studies way before I came to academy. We studied and learned the teachings of the Bible and made a choice to be baptized. I thought I had surrendered at that time, but when I read these words and the other things that I had read in that same book, suddenly without any fanfare, without any pressure, with no drama, not like I was recovering from drugs or some other big problem that had come my way. Simply, everything came together in one moment. In that moment, I made a choice that I would follow Jesus and I would receive his gift. You know, It really wasn't one thing. It was the sum of many things. It was the influence of so many lives around me. Again, a pastor, multiple pastors, family members, friends in school, teachers in the academy, a combination of many influences, many lives that had come to speak to me and say to me, this is real, and this is a choice you want to make. Safe to say that all those influences in my life, in that moment, came together and spoke to me with one unified voice.
And they said, put your trust in Jesus and surrender to him. And so I did. It would be years later before I would know that Jesus would call me to serve him in full-time ministry. And many more years would pass by as the opportunity for me to increase that influence would grow for inspiring and leading others to make that same choice to follow Jesus. But in that moment, the real story of my life began. A life choice that has been with me all these years. It's only the part one of my story. Only the initiating time in that moment that everything else would be changed by. So, I'm going to tell you some more of my story, but not today. I want to share more of my story in a series starting in July that all of our Forest Lake pastors are going to participate in, a series we're calling This Is My Story. I'll tell you some more of my story on my day when I participate in that series. But today, I'd like you to think about your story. How and when did you come to make that decision to trust in Jesus completely? And who were the many people who brought that influence of their lives that made that choice very real for you? And what did they do? What did they say? How did it come to be in your life that you would be influenced for that decision? I know a fair amount about this church family now. I've been a member here about 20 years. Didn't know nearly as many people until I became a member of the staff here about five years ago, almost five years ago, about four and a half. One of the things I've come to know and that I am quite sure of is that this is a church family full of very devoted, Jesus-loving people. People who not only have given their life to Jesus, but have lived a life that is honoring to him in as many ways as they possibly can. Now, that's not to suggest that we're all perfect or any of us is perfect. I know that you're not, I know I'm not. It's important to recognize that to live a life that is committed and following Jesus does not mean that you live a perfect life. It's important to know that it's the overall influence of our life that comes out of the choices that we make that makes a difference in the lives of those around us. Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? Now, you might have heard of it, but I'm not sure if we all know what it is. Butterfly effect is a phrase or a concept that originated out of a meteorologist named Edward Lorenz. Back in the 1950s and 60s, he wrote, as he was trying to figure out how to predict weather, 
This is what meteorologists do, right? He was trying to figure out how to predict storms. And as he was working on it, he he came to realize that there are too many variables. There's too much chaos in weather to be able to certainly predict in every way what will happen. And so he called it the butterfly effect, the chaos in weather. And it was simply this, that in theory, though not actually true, that a butterfly moving its wings in the Sahara Desert could be creating just enough movement of air that over time multiplied, that movement of air would multiply into a typhoon across the ocean somewhere. That some little effect unpredictably can turn into something that we would never realize or never be able to know. Every life around us is an influence for good or for bad. We all influence each other. Like ripples in the water when you throw a stone. The ripples go out from our lives, sometimes big ripples, sometimes small ripples. My guess is there's many more ripples than any of us really is aware of. Many more ripples affecting the lives of others than most of us would like to really know or think. Because everything we do affects someone around us. Every choice we make, everything we say. Some of you have a large influence. You've made some big ripples. Some of you think your ripple is almost nothing at all. But my guess is it's more than you think. It's like a boat moving through the water. As a boat moves through the water, it creates a wake. And as it moves forward, the wake follows it. And all of us has a wake. A wake that we never really pay attention to where it goes. We can't predict or understand the effect that it may have. Somewhere on the shore, some other boat passing by, but we all have a wake. What does your wake look like? Thinking about your wake may make some of us uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because, you know, we're not sure that we have a beautiful wake. We don't really want to think about it. But again, don't, un- don't misunderstand to think that it means you're needing to be perfect. The most beautiful wake is a life that is lived in grace. A life that needs grace and is humble enough to receive grace is a greater influence for the gospel than the person who lives as if they are too good to need grace. So does your life and the wake you leave give anyone else a reason to believe that hope in Jesus is something they could find in their own life? What do they see in you 
and me as disciples of Jesus. I'm going to get some t-shirts made, or I think we ought to. They say, I'm awake for Jesus. How about that? (laughs) Because we all are, whether we want to be or not, we all are. Just as all those people were for me years ago, just as you are today. Do your wake, does your wake match your words? And do your words match your wake? What is it about how you live that would cause anyone to be convinced that you love and follow Jesus? Do you live just like all your neighbors, people who don't follow Jesus? Do you look just like them and live just like them? Do you drive just like them? work just like them? Or is there anything that would reveal Jesus in you? Many of us have probably heard the popular and common phrase. It's credited to St. Francis of Assisi, though there's some evidence it maybe wasn't his words. It's this. You've heard it probably. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. A lot of us like that one because it makes it sound like we don't need to use words. We're like, oh, I can live a good life and I will never have to say anything to explain myself. Because we sometimes think that using words means you have to stand up and preach. Or that sometimes using words means you have to be able to give a Bible study and explain a 2300-day prophecy. But that's not really what's called upon us. Our life testimony is not to tell the things that we've learned in a theological book or a Bible study, but our life testimony is to be able to say to people what Jesus has done for us. Not for somebody else, not for missionaries across the ocean, not for somebody you heard in church, but what has Jesus done to change your life? To use words means to tell your story. I like what uh, this Christian writer said as he thought about these words that we often hear. These words, um, you know, that we should possibly not have to use words, that we should preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. His name is... David Bosch, and he said this, of course words are necessary. Unexplained deeds in themselves do not constitute the mission of God's people. See, we cannot allow ourselves to just go around doing good and think that we've reduced ourselves to more, no more than just a good social work organization. Because that is not what we are. The church has a higher purpose. And that purpose is to live the gospel in such a way that people are giving their lives to Jesus. For them to put their faith in Jesus, they have to know his name. They have to know that he is the reason 
for our faith. He is the reason that we live different. He is the reason that we can be kind and generous and forgiving. The Apostle Peter, I like to say it this way, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What is your answer? What is the reason for the hope that you have? I know the answer, it's Jesus. It's the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the one who's living today and is the source of your life and your hope and your strength. He's the reason, so why hide it? There is no way, when I was a student at Forest Lake Academy, that I would have any idea what it would mean to surrender my life to Jesus. I had no way of knowing where that would lead me or how it would unfold in my life or all the many decisions and changes that would come as a result of that simple, pure, real decision. Could have never guessed the number of faithful people that he would send into my life that would help me live that commitment. Nor would I have any idea the people that he would choose to trust to come to me to see something in me of Jesus or to hear something for that I would say as I tried to lift the name of Jesus in my life. I had no idea where that wake and where those words would change the lives of others. And you cannot know the power of your wake of influence or the power of your words that honor Jesus' name. It is so important to live your life as a testimony and then never be afraid to tell your story your story, so that Jesus will be known as the reason for your faith, the reason for the changed life of faith that you have found in him. Only then will the name of Jesus be lifted up and he will be able to begin in them their own story of salvation and faith.